How's everybody doing? Good. Well, my name is Chad Cruiser, and my wife is Fadia Cruiser. She's up in the front here. I know most of the time people are afraid to sit in the front row, but congratulations, sir. Uh, I know Adventists are horrified of the front row. Um, we try to get toward the back as, so we're close to the exits as possible often. Uh, but we have a ministry called Anchor Point Films where we go around to archaeologists, historians, theologians, scholars, medical professionals, and we make documentary films about the Bible, about prophecy, various different things, and also about health. And we are going to be doing, later on this year, toward the fall, we're going to be doing a Bible prophecy seminar here with your church. And so we're looking forward to that. And this morning, I'm going to be sharing a message called Freedom in the Last Days. Freedom in the Last Days. Now, my wife and I have a ministry also called on YouTube called Health and Homestead, where we're reaching thousands upon thousands of people, connecting with them on science on health, scientific studies where we look at the research in the scientific journals and in the, in the peer-reviewed literature, looking at natural remedies that have been compared head-to-head -head with drug medication. And in many cases, the research has shown that the natural remedies are just as good or better with significantly less side effects. And we also talk on health and homestead, on country living. These are some of the things we talk about. But this message this morning is entitled, Freedom in the Last Days. Freedom in the Last Days. So if you would, would you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word, to study both science and scripture. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us. I pray that Jesus would be uplifted, for it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right. For whatever reason, I'm not able to get the screen sharing working. Let me try that one more time. There we go. I think it's working now. Hopefully. Maybe not. All right. Well, I'll just share it, and you may not be able to see it. But it's, we're looking now. There it is. Praise the Lord. Here is some current events taking place right now. A global famine looms. They're saying the U.S. potentially could prevent it. We see because of things going on in Russia and in Ukraine. Then also places like India not exporting their grains and not as many being grown in places like Ukraine. We're seeing potential troubles. We're seeing some people maybe struggling more and more with food. We look around the world right now and we also see things like the war in Ukraine, Russia's war. We see baby formula shortages in the United States. I mean, who could have imagined this would ever, ever happen, right? And then we look at the newest thing on our radar is something called monkeypox. Ten monkeypox cases identified in the U.S. and what we know about each of them. Some say, well, this will not become anything. It's maybe not as virulent as COVID-19. Uh, but we also see things from the 
uh, nuclear initiative threat or the nuclear threat initiative, who said this potentially within several years, may have 300 million deaths. So we don't know. Time will tell. I mean, we have no way, no idea. Maybe it will simply fade away. Hopefully it will. But we are living in incredible and unusual times. We are seeing things take place very, very rapidly. And with each one of these events, one of the, one of the common threads through all of them is each one of them has become an area to remove freedoms. We see with things like the pandemic we saw in Michigan. Do you remember when the lockdowns first began? And we were told if you own land in the country up north during the early portion of the pandemic, they said you are not allowed to live your, leave your city home and go up to your country property to try to be safe. What a strange time. We, we couldn't have imagined not being able to go to the country, but we were told the time when that would come. Now, that wasn't the ultimate fulfillment. These are just signs, depictions of what could come to pass. We see also with the war, people say, should we stop people's freedom to have uh, disinformation? And once again, yes, that sounds great. Oh, to only share the truth, but somebody has to decide what truth is in order to shut down disinformation. We see also with these various things taking place, less and less food, you can understand how we could lose more and more of our freedoms. And as we see these things taking place, these are reminders of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 8. All these are but the beginnings of birth pangs, right? Just like a woman in labor... When she begins to have her contractions, at first they may be a while apart. But as she gets closer to the arrival of the birth of the child, those birth pangs become closer and closer together and more intense. And this is what we see also at the end of time. We are living in a time where prophecy is fulfilling. I want to look a little bit at a few verses out of Revelation chapter 17 and 18. You may remember that in Revelation chapter 17, you have a woman called a harlot, a prostitute. The King James uses the word whore. We typically wouldn't use that word today unless someone's being very insulting of another, but it was just a term for a prostitute in the Elizabethan language. And in Revelation chapter 17, you have this woman. Now, in the Old Testament, a woman, Israel, was represented by a faithful woman when she was faithful. She was represented as going into harlotries when she turned from God. We see the same thing in the New Testament that when Paul speaks of the faithful church, he says, I have espoused you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And then in the book of Revelation, it talks about an unfaithful. We have two women, a faithful woman and an unfaithful woman. And here is the unfaithful woman, Revelation 17, verse 1 and 2. It says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, come here. I will show you unto you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. So here is a woman that is called a prostitute. So the first characteristic of this church is that it would be an unfaithful church. And then it says, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. So here is a church that is known far and wide for its immorality. Specifically, fornication. A church that has leadership that are known for fornication. So here's two characteristics. This is a church known for fornication. Verse 5 says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the what? Mother 
of harlots and abominations of the earth. So here's a church that's widely known for immorality, and it's a mother. So this is a mother church. Fascinating. Verse 18, same chapter, says, And the woman which you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So here is a church that is simultaneously a city. Can you think of any churches on planet earth that are simultaneously a city? You say, well, Chad, there are thousands of denominations, but I only know of one that is a city at the same time, right? And in Revelation chapter 17, verse 9, it says, And here is wisdom, and here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, in the Greek language, that word for mountains can either be mountains or it can be hills. So here is the city of seven hills. Is there any city historically that was known as the city of seven hills? Anybody know? It's Rome, right? Rome is the city of seven hills. And then, actually, this is in, I forgot to change the, it's in Revelation chapter 18. It says, of this power, for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. So notice now, kings are leaguing up with her, and the merchants of the earth grow rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So notice, three groups are coalescing at the end of time. So you have this woman, which is a church, that is a mother church, that is also simultaneously a city in the city of Seven Hills, that is known widely for immorality amongst its leadership. And this church, at the end of time, would be coalescing, would be coming together. There would be a confluence of this power along with the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth. Quite fascinating. Do we see this taking place? This is Revelation 17 and chapter 18. So we saw a church with leaders known for immorality, a mother church, a city in the city of seven hills that leagues up with the merchants of the earth and the political leaders of planet earth. But at that time, Revelation chapter 18 verse 1 tells us that there would be a loud cry. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lighted with his glory. This is this loud cry at the end of time where God's people have spent time with their Savior. Their eyes are not on the world around them. Their eyes are not fixated on the world, the media, these kinds of things. They are fixed on Jesus and as they begin to live out the character of Jesus because he lives his life out within his people, they go forth to share the message and they begin to light the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is going to be happening. Now, we said that there would be this coalescing of these three groups, but you may have seen within the last couple years, all of a sudden this, this video took the internet by storm, and it was, it was basically, it was like eight prophecies, not eight prophecies, eight predictions of what it will be like in 2030. Now, this is not biblical prophecies. I am not forecasting nor prognosticating. This is not something I say will happen at this time. It could happen earlier. It could happen later. But these are the most powerful people in the world. This group of people called the World Economic Forum put out this video. And of these eight predictions, the first one they made, this is the exact thing. Maybe you've actually seen this here, where on this picture... It says, you will own nothing in 2030, and you will be happy. Anybody, anybody seen this? Did you see that video that came out? 
And this is not just like a side thing, like Joe in his basement made this video, or Tony in Paducah made this video. No, this is something that, this was made by the World Economic Forum. You say, well, what are they talking about? By 2030, you'll own nothing and be happy? Well, what is this World Economic Forum? Well, it's a consortium of multinational businesses leaguing together with government leaders and connected with the papacy. You say, Chad, then how come everybody doesn't know about it? Well, I want to show you some of the corporations that are, that are partnered with the World Economic Forum. These are companies like Nestle, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, the largest bank in the world, Goldman Sachs, MasterCard, PayPal, BlackRock, Chevron, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Amazon, Meta, Facebook, IBM, Intel, Google, GE, Verizon Communications. These are just a few of the corporations that are in the World Economic Forum. The largest businesses on planet Earth have hooked up, they have joined, they have partnered, is the actual wording, with the World Economic Forum. But not only have the largest businesses on planet Earth, we see the various, the Bible calls them the kings of the earth, but today we would call them the political leaders. Like we have, um, we have Emmanuel Macron of France. He is a part of this World Economic Forum. We have a man who is the head of Russia today. Vladimir Putin was one of the global, young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. We have in Canada Justin Trudeau promoting the World Economic Forum, the head of the World Economic Forum is a man by the name of Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab said that our president is one of the greatest, hardest workers for the World Economic Forum. And we see, uh, at least when he goes to the meetings there in Davos, which has just been taking place recently, I don't know if he was there or not this time, but regardless, we see that these are the most powerful players on planet Earth today have leagued up under this institution. And this was the article, this came back, back in 2016 actually. This was in Forbes, and it says, Welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. Sounds great, doesn't it? Well, I'm going to read you a little bit about what the article says. This is how it starts. It says, Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say our city. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. Well, you can understand that a little bit. It says we have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all these things became free. So it ended up not making sense for us to... Uh, uh, to own much. Now, I want to clarify who put this article out. This article from Forbes is from the World Economic Forum. They are the ones who contributed the article, the World Economic Forum, this coalescing of the most powerful entities on planet Earth, including the papacy. And uh, at least they come for guidance from the papacy, at least according to the Pope, and we'll see that in a moment. So, now what do they say? By 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy with it. You'll be in the city. And it said you'll also have no, you'll have uh, basically, you won't, you won't be able to have any secrecy of anything that you do. Everything you do will be known. Very interesting. And, but I want you to notice, they say, they tell us in this article who they are nervous about in 2030. There's going to be a group of people 
that make, at least the author of this article, makes them nervous. And I want you to see who these people are that make these potentially, at least this, uh, this individual here, nervous. It says in this article, my biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city. Those we lost on the way. Those who decided it became too much all this technology. Those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and artificial intelligence took over big parts of our jobs. Those who got upset with the political system and turned against it. They live different kinds of life outside the city. Some have formed little self-supplying communities. Others just stayed in empty and abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. So here we have a, an article from one of the most powerful institutions on planet Earth telling us, by 2030, they said that we will own nothing, we're going to be happy, you'll be in the city, and you'll be given everything you need. They give an illustration in there. And I don't remember what the uh, appliance was in the house, so I'll just call it a waffle maker. Uh, but in the article, it talks about you, you own absolutely nothing. You, you own no appliances in your house. And so, for instance, let's say you needed a, you wanted to make some waffles, and so you would basically, I don't, they don't tell you how you do it, but somehow you'd let them know. I'm guessing it's through your phone or whatnot. You tell them, hey, I need a waffle iron, and boom, a waffle iron will arrive at your door. You use the waffle iron, and when you're done with it, boom, it goes back to the next person, and everything is just shared. You don't have to pay for anything. But you could imagine, if you didn't go along with the common beliefs, you can imagine that something like that would not work, right? And they're going to be nervous about people who do not go along with the plan, and evidently live out in the country, raising their own provisions. This is interesting. Now, I want to go a little further into this. Speaking of the World Economic Forum, one of the most powerful organizations on planet Earth. And this is directly from the World Economic Forum website. And they talk about something called inclusive capitalism. They want to change the world. They want to change the economic structure of planet Earth into what they call inclusive capitalism. So then you wonder, okay, well, what is inclusive capitalism? And in order to find out, they actually have a website specifically about inclusive capitalism. And this is the front page of the website on inclusive capitalism. Very interesting. At the very center of it, you have Pope Francis, and on his left, you have Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, who is a part of the richest family on planet Earth. As a family, they have probably a minimum of somewhere around $500 billion. So we see the merchants of the earth, the kings of the earth, the papacy, unifying together to change the economic structure of planet Earth. Openly saying so. This is not secretive. These, these are open things. This is in the news, these kinds of things. And so this is what they are telling us. And interesting. So we see that we are literally living in a time of fulfilled prophecy. It is incredible. We were told the last moves would be rapid ones. We've seen things taking place all around planet Earth. And in the midst of all this, amid a global pandemic, violence in the cities, people, having inc people have increasingly felt helpless in the time that we're living. We're seeing rises in childhood suicidality. 
The desire to commit suicide is unbelievably high, sadly. It was relatively high before, but since the pandemic, it's gone up significantly, especially after the lockdowns. Many children are just very uncomfortable with social communication as a result of this being separated, separated, separated. And why has this caused, we see in the United States, nearly 80% nearly 80 of Americans right now are claiming that they are struggling with stress. Nearly eight, actually, it's just, it's just north of 80, actually. And so the vast majority of Americans are struggling with stress. Now, why is it? Why is it? Well, I'm going to tell you, I believe one of the reasons why people are struggling with so much, this so much, is because, well, what makes people happy? Well, obviously, not being stressed would be kind of nice, right? That's one thing. But here's some research out of the University of Michigan. And they found that people who believe that they are in control of their lives, or what is called autonomy, had the highest levels of happiness. It has been said that one of the greatest predictors of happiness in human beings is an individual's belief that they have autonomy. Now, autonomy is basically described as the belief that you are self-governing. Meaning that you are an individual that gets to make your own decisions and the decisions that you make impact your life and your future. That is having autonomy. And that is one of the greatest predictors of happiness. Believing that what you do impacts your own life and that you're not just being forced into a bad situation. And we were told this in a beautiful writing called The Youth Instructor over a hundred years ago. We were told this, oh, that everyone might realize that he is the arbiter, the decider of his own destiny. And then notice what this belief that you get to make decisions that impact your future. Notice the impact of this. It says your happiness for this life and for the future immortal life lies with yourself. She told us that happiness, happiness comes when people recognize that they are the deciders of their own destiny and act positively and progressively to impact their future in a positive way, ultimately for an eternal purpose. That that is what ultimately brings happiness. The trouble is there is something that psychologists call learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. You may remember, if you've ever taken a Psych 101 course, a Psychology 101 course, you may have remember one of the most popular studies back, you know, just learning about psychology, just because it really impacts us when we hear this study, was a study by a, a psychologist called Martin Seligman. And Martin Seligman did this study. He took dogs. If I remember correctly, they might have been beagles. And they strapped down the beagles. And they put them into three different groups. One group, they strapped them down for a time. They harnessed them down. They did nothing else. The second group, they would strap them down. And then they would shock them with a painful shock. But next to the dogs, right in front of them, in front of their snout, they would have a little lever. And if they would push the lever down, it would stop the shocking. The third group, on the other hand, and they would never allow them to do this today unless they just hit it because it's just unethical to do such a thing. The third group, they would just shock them, really torture them, and there was nothing that poor dogs could do about it. Then they did something to find out, well, what, how has this impacted the dogs? And they set up a cage, and the cage had two sides. One side had a floor that could be electrified. The other side was not an electrified floor. And the sides were separated by a little tiny fence that the dogs could e easily just walk over or even jump over. 
The first group, who had just been strapped down but had never been shocked, when they put the dogs in the cage, they put them on the cage of the shock, then they would turn on the electrified floor, and the dogs who had never been shocked would, would jump to the other side, and they would avert the pain they were going through. The second group, who had been shocked but could get rid of the pain, they too, when they were shocked, would jump to the other side. The third group, on the other hand, when they were shocked, they would just kind of freeze. And they would suffer, and then they would just lie down and just take the torture. And scientists came up with a name for this. They called this learned helplessness. It's a sad study, isn't it? It seems like scientists used to kind of like torture things until people told them there was something called ethics. Then they kind of had made rules so they couldn't do these things. But nevertheless... You can see this sad depiction of what happened to these dogs. You can see it played out in the lives of humanity. Yes or no? People, imagine, some people, they grow up in very difficult, very hard circumstances. Maybe they struggle financially. Maybe they suffer under physical beatings. Maybe abuse. Maybe sexual abuse. They go through very difficult times. Maybe they have parents that have severe psychological disorders. Maybe they're not loved. Some children are never touched. Some people never tell each other, I love you. I hope you tell your family you love them. You say, well, they know I work hard for them. Jesus tells you he loves you. He didn't just show it. He actually told you, for God so loved the world. Friends, we should tell each other we love our, each other. Parents, if you've never told your children you love them, I want to challenge you to do it today. If you have children off afar, I would call them up today. Tell them, I love you. I really do care for you. Even if they're living in sin, whatever it is, you tell them how much you love them. It may seem strange because your parents never did it to you. It doesn't matter what your parents did. You are the arbiter of your own destiny. You get to change your family tree because you get to choose what you do in life. God created you with the ability through his power to be different. And God is trying to tell, teach us to overcome this learned helplessness. Maybe you did come from difficult circumstances and God was right there with you. Jesus was suffering with you in your trials and he loves you. But he also, no matter what trials you went through, he can set you free. So you don't have to live in helplessness for the rest of your life. You know that now you are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king of the most high. The most high king, I should say. Right? And he can set you free. You are not helpless. You have, you, imagine if you're, if you're struggling, you're thinking, man, I'm really struggling. And then you realize your best friend was Bill Gates. And he told you, anytime you need help, just let me know. Well, if you're struggling financially, what would you do? Well, you'd probably call him. I'm not calling that guy a saint. That's not my point. But you understand what I'm saying. You have someone much greater than Bill Gates on your side who loves you with an everlasting love. And he says, listen, you are not helpless. I will give you strength to be a changed man, to be a changed woman, to be a changed child. God will set you free. So, Researchers have tried to figure out how can we break people free from learned helplessness and to learn autonomy again. And so they've done research at Yale University. 
And they conducted a study on depressed elderly people who were living in a nursing home, and they asked them to make choices about the food they, about what food they ate if they wanted to change the channel on television to have the furniture rearranged or if they wanted to change the air conditioning. They also had them request to change policies in the nursing home, and those were granted. Well, it turned out that 97% of those who were given choices to make changes and actually acted upon them became happier and more active in their own lives. You see, because in nursing homes, it feels like, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm just kind of suffering through life, and there's, I have no autonomy. But when these people were given simple decisions to make, and they acted upon these positive decisions, it brought happiness into 93% of them. And friends, you may have had struggles in your life. You may have depression. I went through 10 years of depression. It was very dark. I'll probably tell you more about that another time. But I went through severe depression. But I continued to go forward. I knew Jesus was the answer. I just struggled with guilt, guilt, guilt. And I, I studied and I studied. I studied righteousness by faith. And I memorized verses. I memorized over a thousand verses trying to fill my head with God's word. Seeking God. Giving my heart to him. Trying to make my, right my sins of the past. Knowing that I couldn't. But trying to pay for things I had I'd done wrong in my past for years. But never feeling any peace. For me, it ended up being a physical issue. I had gut trouble that we got while doing missionary work overseas. And when my gut was healed, the depression went away. Sometimes it's physiological, but it feels like it's psychological. Sometimes it is psychological. But when our body is functioning better, it's at least easier to be happier people. That's why going to bed early, getting exercise, getting out in the sunlight, the health principles we've been given are many things that we can do, but also yielding our heart to Jesus Christ. But making those decisions, you say, I know I'm supposed to drink water, but I love Coca-Cola. <laughs> well, autonomy is saying, I know this is junk and I will never put garbage in my mouth again, ever again. I'm done with that. I just won't do it. I mean, I grew up only drinking soda, only drinking soda, almost exclusively, I would say that. And yet later on, I found about the health message. And we all have the autonomy from God to decide, no, I'm not going to destroy my body. This body is the temple of God, right? And God actually tells us in this beautiful passage back in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with me. Be not dismayed. Don't be afraid, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You say, I, I struggle to overcome my temptations. God says, don't be afraid. No, no reason to be afraid. I will give you strength to overcome. God promises that. He promises you autonomy. See, because you can't actually have autonomy. Because by nature, you are a slave to the enemy. But Jesus says, listen, I am here to break the bondage and set, set you as a captive free. You don't have to be a slave anymore. Jesus says this. He wants you to be happy. He wants to set you free. We talked about the fact that some people were kind of afraid or they claim that they will be afraid for those who choose to live in the country and raise their own provisions. What's interesting, many people don't know this, that 2008 was a world-changing, there was a world-changing event in Earth's history that almost nobody knows about. In 2008, for all of human history, for the last four, or for last nearly 6,000 years, the vast majority, or the majority, I should say, of human beings lived in the, in the country. And in 2008, 
was the first year in human history where the majority of people lived in the city. That was the year the transition was made. Huh. Fascinating. Because, you know, for the last hundred or so years, people have wanted to get into the city, the excitement of the city, the money in the city, the, you know, Walmart or Target or whatever it is that people are looking for, it's in the city, and it seems like you could make more money. And 97% of the United States land is rural. 19% of Americans live in rural areas, and 80.7% live in urban areas, and the majority of Americans live on 3% of the land in America. And I, I've said this for years because I was a poor guy in ministry, you know, not, not pa I'm not a pastor, but just, you know, traveling the world for the last 20 years doing the Lord's work. And, and I thought, man, if the majority of people wanted to live in the country, I would never be able to afford it. But because nobody wanted to live out there. A few years ago, my wife and I, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had some. And so we bought, you know, about 20 acres of country property, just a forest. And uh, we didn't, we didn't have a house on it, but we did have a tent. And so we went out in the tent and we slept out there and we spent months felling trees. We didn't have a well, but we did have jugs of water. We could fill those up. And so we spent, we didn't have a bathroom, but we did have a shovel. And I have a wife who's willing to live like this. And so, you know, this is what we did. In between our ministry work, we'd be sleeping in the woods and at night we'd hear the coyotes howling. We'd hear the beautiful sound of the whippoorwill. Beautiful sound if you don't know them. It's kind of the whippoorwill. You hear that about 10 o'clock at night in the summer. And maybe 5 or 4 in the morning you hear that again. Beautiful sound. And we would spend our time out there. We were spending time felling trees and preparing a home. But I said, man, I'd never be able to afford land if everybody wanted to be out there. And, uh, but something is actually beginning to change again. The secular view has now changed. Just, so here we are. It took 6,000 years to get to everybody wanting to move to the city. And notice what has just happened within the last couple of years. A new poll has found that 69% of those who live in suburban or city settings would rather live in the country. The reason stated that there is more peace in the country, less stress, and it is financially less burdensome than in the city. This is fascinating. That the world is catching on to our last day message. This happens with everything. Most of the time we're embarrassed about our, our messages that we have, right? We have messages like, well, you know healthy diet and then the world starts getting on to like wow plant-based diet that's incredible and we're like <laughs> we're kind of embarrassed by it right we wish we didn't have that message right it makes us look kind of straight laced and awkward and then we were told in the last days god's people should move to the country and we're like <laughs> wish we weren't told that right and we'll we'll wait till the very very end maybe and 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 then the world is like wow that's awesome country living Wow, that's incredible. I wish I could live in the country. The majority, nearly 70% of people now would rather live in the country. So you may think, well, why is that? You say, I'm so happy in the city, but I'm going to tell you the truth. This is research on who's happier. People who live in the city or people who live in the country. Notice this, that in areas on the left here with 600,000 to 8 million people, these are the least happy people in America. 
and then it goes up to 190,000 to 622,000, they get a little happier, and it consistently goes up. You got one kind of anomaly here, one uh, you know, situation where for whatever reason it seemed to drop here. Uh, but then when you get to areas of zero to 2,000, you have the significantly, you have significantly greater levels of happiness for those who dwell in rural locations. Did you know that Deuteronomy 6.24 says the Lord gave us all his commandments for our good always. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day. God gave us our command, his, his commandments for our good. He doesn't tell us to do things to make us unhappy. All of his commandments are actually for our own benefit. Even this in the last days. God wanted you to have happiness. This is what he wants for you. And we are told nothing so tends to restore health and happiness as living amid attractive country surroundings. Now, how did she know this? How did she know? This is the message that she had been given. Now, you may have heard, now, I'm, I'm not a, a sports guy. I grew up, my dad absolutely loves football, um, hockey, he loves basketball, he loves sports. And so much so, you know, kids kind of rebel against their parents over almost anything. And so I didn't care about sports. And, uh, but regardless, this is fascinating. Jason Brown was one of the best centers in the time in the NFL. He had signed a contract for $37 million. You know, probably grew up in the inner city. Here he has got a contract, $37 million. He's playing in NFL. I mean, this is like the apex of sports. And he's one of the best of the best at the time in his position. And he got this burden on his heart. He thought, man, I want to give up my NFL career and I want to go start a farm. You're thinking, what? And so he, so he went to his manager. He's like, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm going to go start a farm. And his manager said to him, he said, you are making the biggest mistake in your life. And he, he said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. He went off and he started a farm. He must be a Christian because he, he started a farm called First Fruits Farms. And one of the things he does, he grows all kinds of things and like his sweet potatoes and so forth. And, and he, he gives the first fruits away to the poor to help out the poor and needy. And you know what? They came to him, like this, these, this news, these newscasters came to him, they interviewed him, they're like, you know, he grew up in the inner city, and they're like, man, how did you learn how to run a farm? And he's like, YouTube. <laughs> the same way we learn to do everything else in life, right? Is there, is there a way to know how to do anything else other than YouTube? Well, so he did this, and he ended up saying, after he did this, he said, once he started this farm, he says that he never felt more successful in his life than as a farmer. Not as a guy making $37 million in the NFL, but as a guy who lived on the land growing food made him feel the most successful he had ever felt in his life. Wow. Do are God's commands for our good and our happiness, even in the last days... When Revelation says, blessed is he that readeth, that word blessed means happy. Happy. Or when you, when you read the book of Revelation, you see what's going to happen. And instead of just sitting in terror, you actually act upon the beautiful message as it reveals to us Jesus' plan for our lives. This is what we've been given. We're told the people should learn as far as possible to depend upon the products that they can obtain from the soil. We're told... 
We are told to encourage every effort towards self-support. This will strengthen self-respect and a noble independence. That's autonomy. Autonomy is the greatest predictor of happiness. You say, Chad, but we're told not to store up food for the time of trouble. You're exactly right. Are we living in the time of trouble today? No, we're not. If we were living in the time of trouble, it would be very bad news for us. Right? The time is, well, it won't if we're ready at that time. But the time of trouble is a time when very serious, we are not living in the midst of like the Sunday law crisis, the death decree. These things are not taking place today. They will come. But we're not living in the midst of that yet. We are living before that time. Before that time, we're told to move into the country, to raise our own provisions, for in the future, the problem of buying and selling will be a very serious one. And that's a quote. You say, Chad, but we're told not to raise, we're not to store up for the time of trouble. No, we're not. But before that time, when it's difficult to buy or sell, we're told that we are to raise our own provisions so that we can take care of our families and help the community around us. Now, some of you might say, Chad, I don't have enough money for that. Chad, I'm too poor. So was I. For years and years, I know what it's like to do ministry work. I know what it's like to make $400 a month. How could could you have money? But I also knew that God said that in the last days, he would have a country home for those who are willing. So it wasn't about how rich I was, but I knew a really, really, really rich individual who's called God. And so we saved and we saved and we wanted to do this years ago, but it took us at least 10 years of slowly saving and saving and seeking God first and not buying fancy things and useless things and the most fancy tennis shoes or this or that or whatever or the most fancy whatever, but but saving up money, living a conservative lifestyle so that we could save up. And we finally, we bought the ground and we lived in our tent. And I'm not saying you all have to live like me, not at all. Probably most of you had way more money than we ever had. And so you, you know, as God opens the door, and by the way, it says God opens the door. We're told, do not just rush out and do something fanatical. You know why? Because it was right here in this exact town where someone was preaching over a hundred years ago. You better go out, you better move out of Battle Creek, move out of Battle Creek. And there were 200 families ready to just run out of Battle Creek into the country. Did you know that? If you've ever read the book Country Living, you'd know that story, right? And so 200 families were ready to leave and the message came back. Listen, don't just rush. You need to know what you're about. Yes, God wants you to leave in time, but do not be crazy. Do not be fanatical. Ask God to open the door when he sees fit. You need to know how you're going to make a living out there. And you say, Chad, but I'm a single woman. I can't do that all on my own. I believe at the end of time, there's going to come a time where many people are going to have to work together. We're going to have to help each other. There's going to have to be young people helping out the older. There's going to have to be families helping out single people. There's going to be, have to be people who have more money helping out those with less money. And even within those things, we've got to be very careful because you get yourself in some bad trouble in those situations. But this is not, oh, I have to do it. I have to do all these things. No, if God says that he has promised that he has a place for those who are willing. But somebody might be saying, but Chad, if everybody moves to the country, who is going to what? I know there's people thinking it right now. You're already thinking. Who's going to win the people? In the cities. Okay, I live in the country. 
And I'm coming to your town later this year to what? To, to seek to share the gospel in the city. So who's going to win the people in the cities if everybody leaves? By the way, everybody's not going to believe. There will, I'm sure there will be many people just like Lot who they'll just have to even be yanked out or maybe thrown into prison. I mean, you know, something's going to happen at the end of time, right? Many people will never be willing to do it until the very last moment. But God is calling us, and when he opens the door, don't be fanatical, don't be crazy, but I would challenge you to pray, God, you show me when the time is right for me. I'm not saying run off and do it this week, unless, unless God has shown you that and he's opening the door. But what about being in the country? It is actually a training for witnessing, we are told. It says, they should be constantly learning how to secure a variety of treasures from the earth. The people should learn as far as possible to depend upon the products that they can obtain from the soil. In every phase of this kind of labor, growing food, they can be educating the mind to work for the saving of souls for whom Christ has died. Is spending time in the country meant to hide from everybody? No, they know where you are. You, you sign the paperwork. Your name is on the property. You, you, they don't wonder where you are. But you're there to raise your own provisions. For in the future, the problem of buying and selling will be a very serious one. But even more than that, you're there for the spiritual growth and the autonomy that it creates in you and in your children. And it will create a happiness that you may have never experienced. You, may have, you can have happiness in the city, but it's significantly higher on average for those in the country. And I've just seen this. So my, my wife and I, we've been traveling for the last over 20 years. We've been traveling the world. And just in the last couple few years, we have some very good friends who are Amish Seventh-day Adventists. They were Amish. They became Adventists, but they still dress like Amish. They plow their fields with, with uh, horses and these kinds of things. And I have, as I went the first time to, to, to spend time with their family, and the kids all have work and labor, and, and the kids make the food, and they do all these things, and, and the daughter gets down on her, her knees, and she starts a fire in the oven so they could cook some, some corn there for us, and, and we ate corn on the cob, and we had watermelon, and that was pretty much our meal, and I have never seen a happier family in my life. I've never seen such, uh, we, as I walked out of that house, I said to my wife, I feel like I've been in heaven. I've never felt like that before. I've never seen such happiness. But it's not just that they live in the country. And I'm not saying you need to plow your field. You can have a tractor. But these people, they plow their field with the animals. But that's not the point. When, when we, we've spent more time with them because we go speak at their church regularly. And one of the things we've seen is their children. We've gone to them to um, what you, the auction. And they're little children. They, like, how old are the little ones doing it? Six? Probably five, six years old. From, you know, six to 16. These, the children will literally go to the auction and they will be bidding on animals. The children. They buy the animals. They bring them home. They breed them. And then they sell them as little children. And they have autonomy. I, it hit me just this week. I was like, the reason they're so happy is because they're not just told by their parents constantly, do this, don't do this, or by their teachers, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And finally, you want to just buck all that off. And you want to just say, get out of my face. Could you see how it feels like that for children? I grew up like that. I was an angry young person. I was furious. Your whole life you're told what to do and you have, feel like you have very little autonomy maybe. But these kids, these kids are 
working with their hands. We were just with some friends who are not Amish, but Adventist family living on a farm. Just this week, we were spending time with them, and they get together in the morning, and before they do their work, the dad says to the family, let's have a family meeting, and he says, what needs to be done today? And the five-year-old says what he wants to do. The 13-year-old says what he, she wants to do. The 16-year-old does what, says what she wants to do. And the parents say what they want to do. And you know what they do? They all go do what they have to do on the farm. And then the dad says, but listen, if anybody needs all of our help, we'll stop what we're doing and go help out the other one. And I've never, I mean, these people are so happy. We sit there and the, and the kids are laughing. They have a wonderful time with mom and dad. They have autonomy. This is why God is calling us. And part of this process is to change us in the last days so that we will have more of a burden. And he's thinking as he's studying the plants, as he's working with the trees. He he shared with me one of the most beautiful illustrations I've ever heard this week. He's planted over 600 fruit trees on his property. And he says, you know, the cross was a place where Jesus died. We start off, we have in the Garden of Eden, you have a tree. We lost, we lost all of, you know, all of our future because of a tree, but then we had hope in Christ, obviously, but we lost it because of a tree with fruit. Then we have it, we have trees that we grow on planet earth to feed us. And the only thing we can do with those trees to feed us, we can't make them give us food, but we can give them dung. We bring to the trees our dung and those trees give us life from their fruit. And then there was a tree called Calvary. And we come before Calvary and we lay our dung. The best that we have is dung. We lay it before this tree. And we are saved by the one who gives us fruit from the tree. Friends, we are missing out. And as I saw what was going on in this family, I'm like, Lord, we were told a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, that this would make our families more spiritual. Now, sure, Chad, you can be in the country and you can, you can be on the internet all day or you could be doing worldly things or you could be looking at pornography out there too. It could happen. But if we are actually living the message we are called to live at the end of time, and once again, I'm not saying go do this tomorrow. I'm saying ask the Lord to show you when the time is ripe for you. Ask the Lord to show you. So we saw, I want to, I want to, I want to, I'm going to jump forward a minute. We are going to, I want to share with you. We are living in a time where we are seeing rights slowly taken away. We're seeing them slowly eroded. And as people see this during the lockdowns, why are young people so struggling with so much stress and 80% of adults? Because they felt like their rights are being taken But I'll tell you, as COVID lockdown and all lockdowns began to take place, we were out on our country property. We lived next to the National Forest. And while everything was locking down, I'd go out and work on the property. I'd plant some food. And in the winter, when it wasn't time for planting, I could go for a hike anywhere off into the middle of nowhere. And I had never felt freer than when people were feeling the most restricted they had ever felt. This is no glory to me. I was just a poor Bible worker. But the Lord slowly opened the door for us. This is not something... God is calling us in the last days when the time is right. When the time is right. Don't go ahead of him, but don't go too far behind. 
But you know what? Jesus tells us, to him that overcomes, and by the way, we can't overcome with our own strength, for we have none. To him that overcomes will I grant with me to sit in my throne even as I am also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Jesus is going to give us victory. He's going to give us the power to have strength and autonomy, the power to overcome temptation. We are no longer slaves. We are free in Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 131 and 2, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If, notice if, if you continue in my word, do you spend time daily with your Savior Jesus? Are you spending time in his word every single day? If not, I lovingly say to you, you're in slavery. And Jesus wants to set you free. I was a slave who didn't like God's word either. I didn't like the Bible. And if you don't read it, it's proof. You don't like it, right? We understand. And that's natural. The book of Romans said that our, the natural man is enmity. The natural heart is enmity. It's, it's at war, at variance with God's word. That's natural. But 1 Peter 1.23 says, You are born again by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. As you spend time with God in his word, as I spend time reading the Bible through for the first time, an atheist challenged me and made me look like a fool. For I wasn't raised Adventist, but I had I'd never read the Bible through, but I considered myself a Christian. He said, you're a Christian. I said, yes. He said, do you believe in the Bible? I said, yes. He said, have you read it? Uh. He said, how can you believe a book you never even read? And I realized I looked like a fool. And out of pure selfishness, I decided I'm going to go home and I'm going to read this book through for the very first time just so I don't look like a fool again. Pure pride. wasn't about selflessness, selflessness, but as I read it through, it changed my life. I began to experience a born-again experience through my Savior who died on the cross for my sins. And friends, I challenge you, if you're not spending time in the Word of God, don't even worry about country living. Go to the Bible. You need to be with your Savior Jesus. Because you can be lost in the country like you can be lost in the city, right? You don't get to go to heaven because you live in the country. You don't get to go to heaven because you eat right. But God gave us these things to make our minds clearer and to draw us closer to him. And so, Jesus said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, I'm going to jump forward two slides. I want to share with you a poem. I woke up this morning and a thought of writing a poem came to my mind. It was five something and I thought, oh, I'll sleep a little bit longer. But this thought of a poem came to my mind and I want to close with this. This poem is called Freedom. They told me I was brave when I lived by what I craved. But purity I gave Soon I felt just like a slave. I said it is my right to do everything in sight. They say that love is love while forgetting him above. I will live by my desire. Inside me burned a fire. But I began to tire when I was trapped within the mire. But it's my identity, I said with an obscenity. Soon I wanted to be free from sins that clung to me. For I identified 
in things that kept me tied. And then I tried to hide from him who bled and died. Jesus says to thee, the truth will set you free. You will become like me and live with liberty. You desire to be free. Look intently upon me, up on Calvary's tree, then you'll find victory. I love you, O oh my child, though you may feel defiled, if you could only see what I see in thee. I see one as white as snow, God says, because you came to know that I truly am your Savior, and you surely have my favor. Now my identity is only found in thee, and through eternity, Christ will live in me. Jesus wants to set us free. We have to spend time with him. We need to stand at the foot of the cross and bring our manure to him. And his fruit will be given the fruit of a new heart and the fruit of eternal life. Let us close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to live in 2022. In the midst of unreal prophecy being fulfilled. We always knew it was coming and as we see it happening, it's, it's hard to believe. And I think sometimes we get so used to it, we're like, yeah, Another storm, another trial, another war, another pandemic, COVID-19, monkeypox, various things. We're just almost used to it. We're almost numb because of it. But Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to the enormity of the times. Lord, that we would yield our hearts to you, for you have given to us eternal life. Lord, may we, may we say, I, I no longer want to fight. I don't want to wrestle with my heavenly Father. I want to stop the battle. And I want to be his servant, your servant. Father, I pray that you would transform us. We realize that we may feel like we've lost our autonomy. But we're told that by your grace, we are the arbiters of our own destiny. Father, I pray that you would help us to act upon what we know to be right. When we know something's bad for us, would we put it down to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I have a God who gives me power. Lord, thank you that you can break us free from our addictions. That you can make us lights to the world. And I pray that as we maybe even have a little garden in our backyard in the city. Or if we don't even have room for that, maybe we'll have a little pot, a little, a little herb garden in our house, whatever it may be. Something simple. That we would be even communing with you as we learn to work with our creator in our simple little potted plant or in our garden in our backyards. So that we would learn what it is like to trust wholly in you. Father, I pray that you would forgive us Help us to be the people we call, are called to be in these last days. In the name of Jesus, amen.